Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So if there was one thing you could wish for the prison service here in England this year, what would it be? I'm going to ask for two things. I'm going to ask that the prison service train all their people to shift the question from what's wrong with you to what happened to you, and that they start evaluating all their staff based on one quality, kindness. So this podcast this week is our Christmas special and it's a little bit different because for the last few weeks me and the team have been buzzing around asking people if there was one thing that they'd like to see happen in the justice system for Christmas, what would it be? So we've gathered together different recordings of prison officers, prison staff, people who work in the prison reform world and those that don't actually um, to hear what people would like to see. It doesn't have to be particularly realistic. We've put a shout out on Twitter, on email, and we've had people writing and calling in to let us know what they'd like to see. So we have Kate Paradine from Women in Prison, and we have Noel Williams here with us in the studio today. Noel Williams is a policy advisor. So Kate, how long have you been with Women in Prison and what led you into it? Um, I've been Chief Executive for Women in Prison for four years, and I think various things led me to Women in Prison. One was a real interest in women's rights, and I was a chair of um, some women's refuges in Southampton for a while, and did a lot of work on domestic abuse and some work with the police around improving practice in various areas. Um, and also my uncle went to prison um, for a few months to Pentonville um, a few years before I joined Women in Prison. And I learned then how easy it was for someone to end up in prison. And a background of really serious mental health problems and other disadvantages is often what leads both men and women to prison. And what have you seen change over the last few years? What, what are the things that you're particularly proud of that either your organisation has achieved or... Back in June, we held a parliamentary lobby day where we brought women from across women's centres and women from prison and some who'd recently left prison to talk to their MPs and to meet with them. I think one of the things I'm really proud of is the way that we have encouraged and facilitated women with direct experience of the system to engage with the democratic process and to really influence um, what's happening on the ground. And when we've had ministers visit women's centres, we've seen their attitudes and their views really change when they meet the women whose lives they're hearing about directly. And so we think that that is the answer to change. And that's why what I really want to see um, after this election 
is a team at the justice, the Ministry of Justice, who are really listening to the experiences of those in the system and those that are working with them. Noel. Hello, my name's Noel Williams. I'm a 29-year-old policy advisor and I advise people around the issues of criminal justice and social justice. I formerly worked in the Centre for Social Justice, but now I work out of the Ministry of Justice. So we're going to go through some of the responses that we've had to what people would like to see for Christmas. So Kate, would you like to start? Madeline Petrillo got hold of us on Twitter. She's an academic from Portsmouth University and also um, the lady who researched our healing trauma intervention. And she would like to see a women's centre in every town for Christmas. How realistic, Kate Paradigm, do you think that is? Well, at the moment, not very realistic at all. Um, So in terms of, would you like to know what I would like? I would love to know what you'd like for Christmas. I've got a good good idea, but you tell me. Well, at Women in Prison, we would love to see an entirely new system of justice that focuses every single time someone comes before the courts and way before then on the root causes of offending. Now, women's centres do that. And it is an absolute disgrace that we currently struggle to survive um, the centres that do do exist already. So sustainable funding for women's centres in every town is something that we absolutely need. But also, I think it's really important that all women and men and children have access to all the services they need to tackle the root causes of offending. And hearing from Noel about what that could look like and the difference it could make is so, so important. Shona Minson wrote in, Shona is an academic known to us, and she wrote a big report on the rights of the child whose parents are in contact with the law. And she said a couple of things. She said we need to stop locking children up. And she also said we need to raise the legal age of criminal responsibility to 14. Noel, what are your thoughts on just stop locking children up? I'm all for it. Let's, let's free all the children. However, people are committing crime and I... I <sighs> I think it's hard. I think the way we lock children up sometimes not needed. I think short sentences, detention training orders are a waste of time. Um, kids go back out on the streets and they continue to commit crime. But if we really take it back and we talk about the systemic issues, the issue really is here that a lot of kids are being kicked out of school. When you're kicked out of school, your mother is at work. When your mother is at work, it's all good and well saying parents need to know where their kids are. Your mum's at work. She doesn't know where her kid is. A kid's now on the streets or milling around on the streets, going to a people referral unit. And then before you know it, he's at the mercy of people who can then mislead him or her down a bad path. So I think we need much more understanding about what's going on with our young people. And if we look at it from that sort of premise, then of course we should stop locking up children because we'd understand what the actual causes are of why they are there in the first place. It's not yeah. rocket science. We'd actually have to do something else. We'd have to do something it's else. It's very easy to send everyone to prison and then just go, let's forget about it. My point exactly. And you know, I think everybody knows the statistics. It costs a lot to lock up a kid. It costs more than it does to send your child to Eton College, for instance. So um, for me, yes, we can think about how we change um, offending around young people who do offend. But because of the rise, especially of crime in the last two or three years, we do have to be very careful with who we lock up and why we lock them up. I think a lot of kids are being criminalized, um, especially if you're a young boy who's 18 years old now, you've just come out of prison because you went there at 15 and had a knife on you. You've served your three years in prison. You want to come out and change your life and, and crack on. But, you know, we understand there's the knife crime prevention orders that are coming in place. And all you have to do is be a previous knife carrier and you can get one of these. 
we don't need that going on. That's criminalizing young people, criminalizing kids. We also need to think about their criminal records because if you've got a criminal record, God bless James Timpson. We know he's he's a man that loves to give somebody a job, Absolutely. but there isn't always James Timpsons around. Yeah. And that type of love and understanding is not throughout the system. So we do need to worry about what we're doing when we're locking up young people and how that affects them later on in life. So for me, I would, I'm all for it, but we need to just make sure we're doing it properly. And what about raising the legal age for criminal responsibility to 14? It's, it's always so difficult to put ages on things, isn't it? Because I think so much is to do with the sort of maturity of that individual's brain. And we know that the male brain doesn't mature, they say, till 25. And for females, it's 22, am I right? So the criminal age of responsibility, is it 14? Is it 16? Um, Ember Solomon, the chief executive of Just for Kids Law, um, sort of thinks it's in the range of 14 to 16. But how does one put a put a number on it? Well, the fact of the matter is that the system hasn't really been working. And the whole focus on punishment and um, sending people away out of their communities, however young, um, to solve the root causes of what's brought them there isn't working. Because mm, so the current age of re um, criminal responsibility is 10? So yeah. very young in this country yeah. compared to comparative countries across the world. Um, and Howard League are doing a lot of work around reducing um, the number of children in custody. And we have made progress. But what we see left behind is a system that is affecting the most marginalised, is deeply racist um, in terms of the impact that it's having, um, particularly on black and minority ethnic children. Um, so we need to look at all of those things and look at what actually works and criminalization doesn't. Uh, just, just to add to that as well, you know, because always somebody listening saying, oh, well, you know, of course, and I, I'm going to be very academic about this because I did some work on this when I was at uni. But um, at the time, the Conservative Home Secretary was Michael Howard. And because, you know, we had many things happen in the country, it was in one week, it was a lot for him. But we had James Bolger, the killing of him. And by two bo of, of, other boys, by who two were boys who were the indeed. And of course, it's something that shook the nation. It was it's a massive, it's in every academic criminological book you could think of, there has a story about, you know, the Bolger ki killing. So people will be sitting here saying, well, you know, people are capable of doing that sort of stuff, taking a kid from a shopping mall and, and, and all horrendous acts, and they were only young. But that's every once in a, in, in a while, um, luckily for us. And I don't think justice has really moved from, from that in the last 20 odd years. I think that's the, the premise we've always took. And, you know, in Scotland, it's, it's eight years old, acts of criminal responsibility. I, I don't know if we should make it 14 to 16. I, I don't know what people would feel about that. And I think we do need the public's opinion on, on such matters because as we've seen with the rise of knife crime, kids are 13, 14 taking lives of other kids. We really do need to kind of change that now as we are 20 years on. You mentioned James Timpson. He actually wrote in and what he'd like to see for Christmas in the justice system is a bit more kindness. Very to the point and succinct, but I think we can probably all agree. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. All agree with that. Definitely. Um, Iona Pinter says children's courts for criminal and immigration decisions that prioritise children's welfare and best interests in decision making as in family courts. I think this sort of also goes into a lot of the work of Shona Minson and, you know, that whole issue of children being treated well in the courts. 
Um, do you have um, much to say on that, Noel, having been a child probably in a court, I imagine? Um, I mean, less with the sort of immigration side of things. but Yeah, no, no. I, I, I... We do have courts for children, but... Did it prioritise your welfare, would that. you say? Did it have your best interests yes. in heart? If, so, if a child's heart. come into court and they've committed a crime, then the welfare and their interests go straight out the window <laughs> because they've is committed a crime. Is there in word? Yeah, is there in word only, if you ask me. Um, I think I had a, one judge who was half decent who actually stopped and said, well, where's his parents? And they said, well, parents are out committing crimes. Well, What's his chances in life if his parents are already in prison? And he took, you know, a different route as such. But he didn't then say to me, oh, you know, for your own welfare, this is where we're going to send you and this is what we're going to do. We're going to ensure that actually we're not going to convict you of this. We're going to send you off to that training. Or So for me, I think it would be good to actually get a, a court, maybe even if it's just one in every local authority that does specialise in, in matters such as this with a bit more of an empathetic understanding um, around the fact that people are, people are children, you know. Mm. Nina Champion, who's the director of the Criminal Justice Alliance, says, all I want for Christmas is a criminal justice workforce that promotes and actively practices the genuine inclusion of people with lived experience as employees and leaders. Kate, how do you feel about that? So running women in prison, is this an important thing from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, listening to Noel, um, I think it's a really good example of how having first-hand experience of the system is what the influence of those voices is what's going to change the system. Yeah, and completely. we work with so many women whose ideas could only come from having had experience of the system. So really, really important. Um, and Nina says, you know, if people just implemented the recommendations in the Criminal Justice Alliance's new report, change from within. So if you're interested in that, go and have a look at that report. My name's Mark Verhurst. I'm the National Chair of the Prison Officers Association. My wish list from Santa would be to have a government in power who give us our right to strike back, return our retirement age to 60, end privatisation and give us an above inflation pay rise year on year to encourage people to join and to stay in a job and just respect us, respect what we do and stop interfering. Let us on the land and do what we do best and that's meet people's needs, control them and try and make a difference to their lives so when they do enter society, they're law-abiding citizens and contribute. So my name's Enver Solomon. I'm the chief executive of the charity Just For Kids Law. We're a London-based charity that work with young people aged mainly between 10 and 25, supporting them to get their legal rights and entitlements respected and promoted. If there was one thing you could change or have for Christmas, what would it be? I'm going to take the liberty to say maybe three or four things. We need to raise the age of criminal responsibility. We criminalise children from the age of 10 in this country. If we raised it to 14 or 16, it would radically change how we respond to children who get into trouble with the police. Secondly, we need to change the school exclusion system so that if a child is permanently or temporarily excluded from school, they have the right to appeal and to be automatically reinstated rather than the decision resting with the governor's body who can ignore the decision of the appeal body. 
Thirdly, we need to make sure that there is an automatic right to housing for every child who gets into contact with either the care system or social services um, from the age of 18 onwards up to the age of 25 if they need support with housing. And finally, we need to change our style environment in relation to immigration. There's far too many children and young people in this country that fall foul to that environment and it is destroying their lives. So my name is Tartan Khan, it's a pseudonym that I use. I'm an ex-prisoner who served just under four years in jail in England. If there was one thing that you could have for Christmas when it comes to sort of changing something in the, in the justice system, what would it be? For the judges and the magistrates not to remand people to jail for the stupidest reasons. Because that will stop the self-harm and the suicides. And that's all I would want. So we have an anonymous one here and this person has been in touch to say that what they'd like to see is people stopping excluding children from school and to provide wraparound services in school to support all children. Now, Noel, how do you feel about that? Because I know that you've got experience as well of the people referral units and life in uh, and out of those. If you take the first part of the question into mainstream schools and young people being excluded, uh, there's no doubt about it as well. It's black and ethnic minority young people who are being excluded at an alarming rate. And they're not just being excluded, they're being told to leave the premises. Not with a letter, mind you. Just don't come back to school. And I think that in itself is um, really sad because if you've got a disruptive child, it could just be because they're dyslexic. I was a disruptive child, I was dyslexic, but I didn't want to tell anyone in the class because I didn't want my mates to laugh at me. So I was always just messing about, getting kicked out of class, getting sent out of class. And one day, it, you know, it amounted to me having a fight with someone and then I got kicked out of the school. Then I was in a people referral unit, as I've said previously, and you're only there from nine to 12. So after 12, as I said earlier, I was also that kid on the street whose yeah, mum was at work. Yeah, your mum's at work, right? So you're just left your own devices. And picked up by people who I looked up to. They had the latest trainers, the latest cars, they had the chains on, and I didn't have any of that, but I, I wanted that life. So, you know, before you know it, then you've got a young person not wanting to go to school. And I think that's the dangerous part here where we've got young people who have been kicked out of school and they want to go back. They're dying to go back. And what society needs to understand is we need to grab those kids then. That's when we need to give them the wrapped around service. Even if they've offended, then their, their youth offending worker needs to be involved in it. If they're in social, the social services need to be involved in it. Rather than the school saying, it's not our fault, we've sent him home, he's got a letter. The buck stops with the social worker. The social worker then saying, as we all know, I haven't got the time to focus on one child like how I need to and how I'd like to. And then, you know, as someone's alluded to, there is no way to appeal it. So really, we've just left the kid to their own devices. As every political party at the moment is talking about funding schools and whatever, let's get some money into, into, into that and seeing what we can do with new innovations um, to help out teachers as well. Let's not always put the strain on teachers. They've got a job to do. There's 30 yeah. people in a class. They need to maintain order so that they can go well. But every teacher I speak to, they say to me, oh, if, if I could... I would really sit down with that young person, ask them what they want to do and, and get them going. And um, I mean, it's really quite ironic that mothers and fathers are sent to prison for failing to get their children to school, um, which really shows how completely broken the system is. Um, and the fact that we don't look at the root causes of why children aren't getting to school and why their parents might be facing problems doing that. So for some reason, Dan Snow, the history guy, wrote in. I can't think why, apart from the fact he's my husband. And I asked him what he would like for Christmas. Um, what would he like to see 
in the justice system because I think it's really important to also ask people who don't live the life that we live and aren't immersed in all the issues. And he said, a ministerial team at the Ministry of Justice that serve a five-year term and embrace evidence-led policies. What do we think about that? That would be nice <laughs> as a starting point. Not just a sort of 12-month tenure, in, out, in, out, shake it all about. I think he's spot on. And I think most people in the country understand that justice is the bag that no uh, ministers wanted from the Conservative Party, to be quite frank. And I have to say that as it is, because everybody seems to move. As soon as they get a chance to, they get out of justice and nothing real has been done. Let's be frank about this. David Gork, bless him, was fantastic. And they had another one called Philip Lee, but then they left over Brexit reasons. So you've got to ask yourself a question. Who's that passionate about justice and who wants to really turn it around? And uh, at the moment, the defence uh, minister, he, he's somebody who's passionate about defence. The health secretary, you can see he's quite passionate about that. We really want a minister to come in who's passionate about justice and not just locking people up. Because, you know, clearly, people need to be locked up and that's fine. As somebody who pays their taxes, I'm happy with people being locked up. But, you know, there's a way to do things. By the time this podcast goes out, we will have a new government, no mm. matter what that looks like. And for me, this is not party political. Follow the facts, follow the evidence, do the right thing, find a backbone and please just get on with it. Definitely. Can I just lastly mention a, a man called Peter Clock, who's the head inspector of Her Majesty's Prisons, he stayed in his post longer than a lot of people <laughs> stayed in their post. Yeah. And if you look at his uh, sort of reports when he goes into prisons, there's a big gap and there's a lot of work to do. I would love someone to come in and really work with a genuine man like him. He, I've, I've done wonderful thing. I've did speeches for inspectors. I've met him on many occasions. Somebody who has a real first to see prisons get better and work with somebody like that who's in the civil service, because I believe in the Ministry of Justice as well, you've got some fantastic people that work in it, you've justice board, and no matter what persuasion you are that come in, we really just need a minister and a team, as your husband alluded to, and I wish the same, <laughs> I'm taking his thing, I wish the same thing as a good team comes into the Ministry of Justice and we can get things done. All I would say is that, slightly political, is that we do need to look at who justice secretaries are listening to and listening to Noel, listening to charities working on the ground. And we've seen how there has been a failure of a privatisation um, scheme to work. And we need a new system that which, which prioritises those working on the ground that aren't in it for profit but are there to do the right thing and have a whole load of information and evidence behind them about what, what works. So if there's one thing you'd like for Christmas for the prison service, what would it be this year? So what I'd wish for the prison service this Christmas is a stable prisons minister who gets what we're about, who understands that we're about rehabilitation and changing lives. And that's what I wish for Christmas. All I want for Christmas is a um, prison system without um, MPS or spice uh, because it causes us so many dramas and um, I'm, we're staring down the barrel of a prison system which is full of people with drug-induced psychosis in the future or paranoia and um, it doesn't seem that palatable a thing. What I would like is the public to understand the value of what happens in prisons and staff so that there's more permission to invest in 
staff training and staff support and a package for getting really good staff. Okay, if I could have one thing for Christmas, it would be a spice-free jail. Um, it's been a game changer in the prison service, uh, none of it positive, and it really affects how people behave and has a massive impact on everybody living and working in the prison. The one thing I want for Christmas in prisons is a cleaner environment. The one thing I want for Christmas in prisons are more trauma-informed staff. The one thing I'd like for Christmas in prisons is for it to be safe for everybody. The one thing I'd like for Christmas in prisons is to have therapy dogs in our mulberry unit. The one thing I'd like for Christmas is for the men to be able to spend more time with their families. So all I want for Christmas for the prison service is uh, a reduction in violence and an increase in safety for staff and prisoners. All I want for Christmas for prisons is a better IT system that makes it easier for staff to access the internet and use it to train staff. Is there one thing you'd like for the prison system this Christmas? And if so, what is it? Continuity and consistency. Very simple. Thank you. And you? I think investment. Um, yeah, I think it stops. I think lack of investment stops lots of really positive things happening. So I'm going to pass the microphone around this lovely table of prison officers. And I'm going to start with you. If there's one thing you'd like for Christmas for the prison service, what would it be? An uneventful Christmas, really. Um, everyone wants a peaceful Christmas. I would hope that there are no serious incidents this year. That's what I would like. Having spent 29 years in the service, unfortunately, um, most of them I've spent away from my family at Christmas. I accept that. And if I have to be away from my family, hopefully it's uneventful. Noel, you served time in a Youth Offenders Institute. How many Christmases did you spend inside the walls? Um, in a Young Offenders Institute, I did four Christmases in there. Um, I guess it's different. I think everything varies in, depending on what type or prison you're in. So Young Offenders would be different from an STC, it'd be different from a HMP. Your so STC is a secure training centre somewhere like Medway and it'd be very different from a, a prison somewhere like Rochester, for instance. So off the top of my head, I think the best place would have been uh, Huntercombe when it was a Young Offenders Institute. I understand now it's a man's prison, but um, it was very good. Kind of let you pick your own dinner and let you go to the servery and kind of mishmash and create the best day possible and let your family members come up for longer visits. What and... kind of food would you get out of interest? Well, I was, like I said, I was lucky enough to be able to pick what I wanted. I always yeah. had fish and chips and apple crumble and custard or anything like that. that I, would. I never really went traditional and had turkey, but they did yeah. have turkey and stuffing. And, and obviously for different people, as I'm young black man, you know, they had culturally different foods for us as well. So they'd have like a jerk option or they'd have like a fish option. And they'd also have a halal option for people who are, Muslims and do you know what I mean so everyone's catered for most definitely but at the end of the day you're still in prison so I guess apart from the food and a visit if you can get it you're still in, in four walls and I wouldn't say locked up for the majority of the day you'll probably be out for about four to six hours mm. there'll be no gym though because obviously officers are at home and there's less yeah. officers on and the officers that were there were they in a sort of good mood did they try and bring some good energy to the day because of course it's Christmas day for them too right I'm sure they'd prefer to be with their family and I imagine that quite a lot of people who are serving time, it's quite a sort of sad time and maybe a, a dangerous time as regards suicides. Yeah, suicides are very dangerous. The, the, the fact that violence can ensue because people are highly emotional, people are not at home, people have children, people are away from their children. Even if you're 18, some people have children. Yeah, um, yeah. 
So uh, it's emotional, I think, for everybody. Um, staff will try their best, though, to, to put a brave face on and, you know, play a bit of Christmassy music. Or, But then you would have the odd staff member who doesn't want to be there themselves. Do you know what I mean? They've got their own family they want to go home to and, and enjoy Christmas with. But more often than not, you do find compassionate people. Um, everybody understands that it's not an easy time. And they'd rather the wing run nice and quietly but people are happy rather than the violence but like I said you can't help it if some people and I remember off the top of my head his name is uh, Nicholas Littles bless him um, Christmas time his mum couldn't come and visit him and he was just a lovely kid uh, from Sudbury Way and I, I know him really well because we used to play football together so he was on my wing football team and he was our goalkeeper bit of a nutter he'd, he'd always run at the ball and never be scared to dive at people's feet and he, he hung himself unfortunately in Reading Prison, um, simply because it was that time of the year, it was very emotional. This is someone you'd always talk to all year round. You wouldn't even think, well, I, I didn't think at the time that he had any form of, of, of issues. So I think that's a stark reminder that even though people put on a brave face, I think it affects everybody differently. And, How old um, was he, did you say? At the time, he was only 19, um, which is a bit of a shocker. And um, how long had he served? You know, had he been in? No, but he didn't have a long sentence. He didn't no. have over three years, so he wasn't a, a long-term offender as yeah. such. But I, as I said, Christmas time affects everybody, and if your if your family or your loved ones can't come for a visit and they can't bring your girlfriend and whatever, I guess it affects you differently. I never really had loads of visits anyhow, so for me it was just rocking and rolling. We get on with the day. Mm. But, and um, how did that affect you? I know you can be quite well, sort of like, well, I didn't have any visits. Yeah, I'll be really, really honest with you. I wasn't really that affected. No. Um, because I come from a family of people who have got generationally in trouble with the police. And my dad's gone to prison and so is mum. It's, it's part and parcel of, well, you made your bed, you got a lie in it. Yeah. Is it good apple crumble? Yes, mum. Well, <laughs> enjoy your day then. I'll speak to you soon. And I'm like, all right, mum, we'll crack on and that'll yeah. be it. Just tell me to behave and I just carry on. It's only now as I got older and further reflection and I feel saddened actually I was actually in that situation and I didn't really didn't register with me that I was away and kind of how to take it because I didn't really have that family unit my dad was never around anyhow and in my own house family Christmas was quite dysfunctional so um, I feel like I got away with one there and how many years did you spend in prison, Ol, if you don't mind me asking? And, and by prison, I mean the Secure Training Centre, Youth Offenders Institute, and if you could just paint a picture of the time you did. So I was offending uh, from the age of 11, and I went to prison first at the age of 12. I stopped going to prison at the age of 22, so it's a 10-year span. And over that time, I spent seven years, 11 months, and 26 days in custody altogether. Not that you're counting. Not that we're <laughs> counting at all, no, no, no. How do Christmases differ from the Secure Training Centre to the Youth Offenders Institute to the adult prison or is it just a case of your state of mind or the maturity that you're at? Is it more about the physical environment or is it more about the sort of mental state? I think it's a bit of both because if you go to a secure training centre, people are naturally treated like young, young children because you've got 11-year-olds in there. You know, and if you're walking around somewhere where you've got an 11-year-old, it's very different from a Felton where you've got your 15 pluses. So in Vinnie Green, for instance, it was absolutely fantastic. We had Merry Christmas everywhere. We had sparkly decorations. We had Christmas music all day. We wasn't locked up at all. You get to pick your men. You pick from anything you want. It's Christmas. You can have cake five times if you want. You can literally just 
blow up. Yeah. Um, your parents could bring you in one present each as well, which is a very, very big thing. How does security deal with the presents coming that, in? That, that's like a week in advance. So oh, whatever okay. your present is, security will flag it up and they'll put it in your property box and on the day they'll wrap it through the prison and bring it to you. And also okay. what was great was people who didn't have parents that could afford it, i.e. me one year, the prison kind of got a subsidy from my local youth offending team and they oh, bought really? me a small present. So yeah. that's how far people will go in a secured training centre. Going up to the YOYs, the Huntercombs, the Feltons, it's a, it's a bit different. And in the Youth Offenders Institute, do you also sort of mention that obviously there's, you know, men, young men at that age who have children themselves. Are there many children that come in on Christmas Day to see their dads? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christmas Day, they allow people to get up and go and play with yeah, their kids. Yeah, because usually on visits, the, the prisoner the offender has, has to, to sit down yeah, in a beer ball. Yeah, they're not allowed to stand up or move. Yeah. Which is a, difficult with children, right? Of course, because, of course. Children want to yeah, move. They want to yeah, move and they, they want you to play still. with them. So um, I'm guessing it's it's really emotional, um, especially on a day like Christmas. So that's really good. And I think every prison differs as well. Um, different governors will allow people to get up and, and have a play. In some places, you definitely will not get to do that. Um, so I guess it's, it's up to your governor, really. Mm. So, Kate, we've heard a bit um, from Noel about sort of children in prison and from your point of view and the role that you do um, working with women in prison. How important is that, is the sort of child aspect to a sort of women's time when they're inside, inside the walls and particularly at Christmas? Well, obviously, because the vast majority of primary carers are women, um, when women go to prison, children are often much more affected than when a man goes to prison. So in nine out of 10 cases, when a woman goes to prison, her children will have to leave their own home to live with relatives or go into the care system. So on those facts alone, the impact of a Christmas in prison, in a women's prison, is often affecting many more children and families um, than in a men's prison, although it has a massive effect across the board. Can you paint a picture of what Christmas Day might look like in a women's prison? I think the problem with Christmas in prisons is that already our system is completely under strain in terms of staffing. So during Christmas, there's even more strain. Because mm, there's so less staff. Having right? visitors um, go into prison on a Christmas Day is probably the last thing that um, most prisons um, can cope with. Yeah. And I think the point there is Christmas is an emotional time that everyone, whether you're in prison or out of prison, it's an emotional time, particularly around bereavement. Um, and of course, access to support around mental health, counselling, even independent agencies in prison, like women in prison and others, there'll be very little available. Um, so those in prison will be supporting each other. Um, so I think the main thing to say about Christmas in prison is I'd say it would be very, very much the same as any other day um, in a prison, maybe slightly different. Do you agree, Noel? I, I, I definitely take that point. And I, I, just to end, as we're going through different age groups, we're in a managed prison, so that's 18 and above. Taking your point, in Pentonville, it was just another day. Honestly, I, right. I think we had one Christmas song. Really? There wasn't a decoration. You could just feel that... that the hope being sucked out of the whole the whole environment. Nobody cared. Nobody nobody's going home. You know, people have got their own issues. If anything, this is a bad day for us. We can't wait for Christmas to be over because really? we're not there. And it was that sort of, you know, oh, this isn't any good for us. And I was a bit taken back because I had always seen prison as somewhere where hope manifests itself. People mm. are always hopeful. We've got an end date. 
we are going home, even if we're not in the best of our, our, our mindsets at the time. We all know that there's an end goal. We're getting out, going to live life again. But days like that just bring up a lot of emotion, a lot. And as you said, bereavement, loss. And it's a time of the year. Some people sit there thinking about a lot of stuff that creates trauma in their own own minds. And mm. then you get secondhand trauma because, as you said, you're in prison and you've only got your mate next door to help you out with it and your other mate. And then we're all talking about the fact we've lost something and we're not out and we're... So in a man's prison, it was terrible. And to finish on the fact that the staffing levels are so low, it, it, I don't think I saw a member of staff. They opened my door to open me out and to lock me up. And I didn't see a staff member again. And people are, you know, they're taking drugs. People are trying to cope with, with what's going on in their lives. And when you walk in a shower room, little old 18-year-old me for the first time in a prison, and I'm like, wow, there's people in here just high on drugs trying to cope with with his Christmas day in his mm. life. So it's, it's by truly the, sad. By the time you got to the adult male estate, you had kids by that point? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. had a kid. How yeah. many? I had one. Just, just one. Mm-hmm. And did he or she, what what flavour? Boy, I had a boy. <laughs> boy. Mm-hmm. And did he come and see you? Yeah, yeah. My, my family always brought him up to see me. As I kind of mentioned earlier, as a young black kid growing up in London, having your mum and dad gone to prison it's not it's right. nothing it's nothing yeah it's nothing surprising about this right growing up as my parents did living in Brixton in the 80s it, it so for them it was more like we want to bring him to see you because you need to bond with your child I used to always see my child every day and then when I went to prison I wasn't in the house anymore no matter how you look at it it's going to affect him in some way even though he thought I was off at a boarding school you know living living the dream of that is at work because everyone here is in a red bib. Yeah. But um, it was also important for me, um, very important to to kind of settle me down and realise I actually had something bigger than me, um, a bigger responsibility for my life. And I think it really did hit me because I never went back to prison after I left Pentonville ever. Um, and do you think he played a big part in Yeah, that? yeah. My child definitely played a big part in me turning my life around. And I, I, I don't think this happens for everyone. I think everyone has a different thing that affects them. And um, I think it's inside the person to say, oh, I'm ready to, to stop committing crime now. Let's let's crack on. But just going back to Christmas in Pentonville, when you've got cockroaches and rats and things like that running around, you know, nobody really wants a bit of, of, of what's going on. The trifle and the... Yeah, there's no Christmas spirit no, there. No, there isn't. So no. environment's really, really important um, any day in prison. But especially if you're going to say it's a special day, we'd really hope that the environment looks at least or feels at least like it's a bit warmer you're listening to justice with edwina grosvenor a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. So we have one here from Rob Allen and Rob Allen says that he would like the sentencing council to fulfill its potential to reduce the use of imprisonment and length of jail terms, crucially, and to raise the quality of public and political debate. And I mean, gosh, one can only agree with this in the sense that we've been talking about reducing lengths of certain sentences um, for so long. There seems to have been cross-party consensus, particularly when we're talking about women who serve such short sentences that it's so mad, it's such a waste of money, the collateral damage is so enormous and it does not help anyone do anything and it's very expensive. And you must see that as director of, of women in prison all the time. Yeah, I mean, the complete waste of human potential and the waste of financial resources is absolutely ludicrous. Um, so this has to be a priority in terms of ending short sentences, but also addressing sentence inflation, which is a massive issue across the entire system and accounts for our rocketing prison population and the crisis within prisons. So all roads lead to a new system which focuses on community alternatives, but also to tackling the root causes of offending way upstream so that people have access to services when they're excluded from school um, to address the root causes of what's bringing them there. Are you optimistic that we will actually get there? I mean, I've heard a lot of people talking about sentencing and, and you know, and of course, after sort of high profile events like London Bridge and sort of awful things that happen, sentencing is obviously very important. It's very complex, um, but it needs to be looked at across the board, do you not think? And in 20 years of me working in the system, I have never really seen any huge movement or any huge desire to really have a a proper thorough look at sentencing. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a really simplistic obsession with prison as a potential solution because it is a solution to nothing on the whole. Mm, but it makes you look tough. Exactly. <laughs> and there is definitely something about becoming obsessed with our communities and what is going on in them and how desperate things are for so many people and the disproportionate impact on people who are already marginalised, already disadvantaged and underprivileged in all sorts of ways. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because you, me, even this sort of far right person who wants to see someone go to prison for longer for this reason, that reason or the other reason, we are all united in the fact that we want an efficient system. And to see people coming out less dangerous and less likely to commit a crime. And that's what I'm always fascinated by when it comes to all these debates and arguments. We're all driven by the same end game. We all want to be safer and we all want to see less crime. Um, and that's why I think it's so key that when it comes to policy and legislation, it is evidence-led and we're led by the research, we're led by the facts and not by the emotional sort of court of public opinion. 
Yeah. And also seeing people who commit offences as being part of our communities and the fact that anyone can end up in prison for all sorts of wrong turns, bad luck. Um, and there is something about seeing people who commit crimes as part of our communities. And you mentioned kindness was one of the asks. Yeah, from James Timpson. Um, and I think an attitude which is about us building as a community rather than othering people in the system, which has brought us to this pretty desperate place for the criminal justice system. I've got one here from Deborah Murphy, who's an occupational therapist and is the head of rather an amazing healthcare unit in Pentonville Prison. And Deborah would like to see for Christmas um, more meaningful activity to support rehabilitation, including support and training in all aspects of daily living. For example, a day service like the one they have at Pentonville on the healthcare unit, which is occupational therapy. Um, she'd like to see occupational therapy in every prison with progressive pathways to education and work and support during transition from prison. Now, I have to be honest, I don't know a huge amount about occupational therapy, but I think we can all agree that when it comes to work and training and purposeful and meaningful activity across the board, surely that is just a sort of fundamental human desire and something that's really important to, to have in every single one of our prisons. Well, and more importantly, in every single one of our communities, to make sure that we are addressing the same issues that people face in prison as they face across our communities mm. and making sure everybody has access, whether it's a mother with a new baby struggling or a child who's excluded from school and their parents, to make sure that everyone has access to those kind of support services, which are pretty desperate across the board in terms of funding, etc. So Amy's written in and she would like to see well-being at the centre, shaping new prison design and policies for staff as well as visitors, as well as prisoners. She'd like to see every prisoner receive psychotherapy. She would like to see social enterprise operating from prison grounds. She would like to see prisoners being paid a minimum wage, which could be saved up for victim compensation, family and release. I know that does happen in some prisons, but it's certainly not consistent across the estates. And this is a really interesting one. She'd like to see research into vitamin D deficiency amongst prisoners and its effects, especially amongst black, Indian and Asian inmates. It's been linked to depression. A scientific reason, 23-hour bang-up can't be good and could inform the way new prisons are built. We don't believe that we need to build any new prisons at all I'd in agree. this country. And what we need to concentrate on is emptying the prisons that we have. Absolutely. Um, so actually, um, interesting as it is, I think that needs to be the focus of any new government, needs to be how we close prisons, and we need to stop now building new ones. Yeah. I mean, what a waste of money when actually... In the short to medium term, if sentencing was looked at and you actually reduced the, the population and then stabilised it and managed to get people into sort of less crowded prisons and then you build from a stable point, which is then sort of driving the population down year on year on year. Yeah, I completely agree. The vitamin D deficiency thing is so interesting because, of course, you know, we do all, us Brits who don't see a huge amount of sun, we do actually need daylight, sunlight, and which is where the vitamin D comes from. And I know you'll know this too, Kate, from working in prisons for so long that you can often tell who the who the sort of prisoners are in the room, if you like, if you're not in a prison, because they'll have this sort of grey, washed out look. 
Um, there'll be no sort of nice tan or sort of rosy tint to the cheeks. Um, and it actually makes people ill, which is, I guess, an obvious thing to say. But Well, there's all sorts of things about diet in prison, um, particularly for women, um, in terms of the special dietary needs. If you're a pregnant woman in prison, of course, there are particular issues around your access to sunlight, your access to fresh air, exercise, medical help and so on. So there are so many ways in which prisons are harmful and they're just not the focus. They should not be the focus of our public policy in terms of justice. So if there's one thing that you'd like for Christmas for the prison service, what would it be? In a, in a city London prison, in an ideal world for us to get rid of the gang culture. So if there's one thing you'd like for Christmas, for the prison service, what would it be this year? Definitely more staff, more out of cell hours for the prisoners, but that would equate for more staff, more food for the prisoners, more variety of food for the prisoners, not just a standard off the hot plate for them. What about the families who come to visit prisoners? Is there anything you'd wish for the families for Christmas? Oh yeah, that'd be nice, more family days. The family days go down really, really well in prison, so that'd be really lovely. And last, but by no means least, we have something that's just come in at the last minute from Sarah Hughes, who is the chief executive at the Centre for Mental Health. And she says, A plea to the government. In order to reduce the numbers of people in prison with serious mental illnesses and addiction, you must invest in prevention. Give young people a better, fair chance in life, build community services and amplify grassroots networks. We know what needs to be done. Let's just do it. So finally, I would like to wish all of our listeners this year a very, very happy Christmas. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast this year. It's been a fun year. I've enjoyed every minute of our recordings. They're never dull. Let's just hope that 2020 brings some real action. I think the, the general theme that's run through these podcasts of 2019 is that, quite frankly, talk is cheap. Um, it's really action on the ground that we need to see. And with our new government, let's hope that we have some people who take action seriously and that we make the start of the new decade one to really remember for our justice system. Thank you all for listening and a very happy Christmas. Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review and best of all, share this episode. Justice is co-produced for One Small Thing by the London Podcast Company and Pencil Agency. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.